Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedian, founder and CEO of Dedian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Chris Ferdedian, and today we have Satyam Cantanini. He is a managing partner and the chief experience officer at UX Reactor. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for asking, Chris. I am so happy to have you on board on this great conversation. As I have been doing some research on your business, and we had just talked right before we, we pressed recording, your company is doing quite well in regards to one of the fastest growing companies in the States, in the San Francisco area, the Bay Area, in Inc. 5000, and so on and so forth. But before going into all that and talking about business culture, talking about what you do within that, give me a bit more of your background and just give a small introduction of who you are, what your title is, but can you tell us a bit more to the listeners and the viewers, what do, well, who are you and what do you do on a daily basis in that regards? Absolutely, Chris. Uh, again, thanks for having me. Uh, I have a very eclectic background, and I think in, in hindsight, it's actually uh, worked out well. Uh, you know, I've been trained initially trained as an engineer, uh, and uh, from engineering went into studying human-centered design, and from there went to study business. So I kind of got the side of business design and uh, uh, you know engineering. So kind of all to the trifecta of that and. Uh, I'm a designer by choice, uh, and uh, I've obviously been trained uh, uh, in a lot of other aspects of, you know, fine engineering. So that's kind of my background. I've been in the profession of uh, systems design and designing experiences uh, for the last 20 years, and uh, most recently founded uh, UX Reactor, uh, a firm based here in the Silicon Valley. Uh, for the last seven years, I've been uh, leading it and helping it uh, grow. So that is great. And do you mind unpacking it a bit more? What is exactly the things that you do within uh, your company right now when it comes to, uh, like, you know, the user experience, when it comes to the design aspect, uh, what do you exactly do you guys do? And what do you serve to your clientele in that regards? Absolutely. So one of the things that's gone on is, uh, so if you look at, I'll, I'll take an analogy, right? So uh, the analogy that will probably help connect these dots is when you go to a hotel, uh, you and let's go. You go to a Ritz Carlton. There, there's a check-in experience. There's a checkout experience. There's a room experience. It's how it smells. There's somebody who's designing all those. Yeah. Uh, and for the longest while, if you look at design as a profession, there's an industrial design. Every element in, that's in our offices and our elements, a pen, a pencil, has been designed by someone. But when we started looking at technology coming together, the one of the biggest problem was how do you you can design the technology to work. But how do you make it work with humans in the loop? Uh, if it's not easy to understand, if it's not uh, easy to navigate, if it's not uh, you know easy to uh, collaborate on, all the elements that we are normally used to in our you know offline real world, how do we digitize that while making it highly effective and efficient? Uh, that's that. So there's a whole new school of design that's come in. Uh, that's called user experience design. Is designing experiences for users 
in the context of digital technology. And it's a, uh, I would say a profession that's in adolescence. Uh, so I've been fortunate enough to kind of have been there for the last two decades in this line of work. Uh, it was obviously a big field of work in the military for the longest while. Uh, I can obviously share why and how it came to be, which is its interesting story by itself. But that is now today as technology, everybody, we have more computing power within 10 feet than all of like the Apollo space missions. And, and with that, we have so much going on around us. Uh, now, how do you make it easy? How do you make it effective? That's kind of becoming more and more important. And that's what a firm like ours gets into is understanding human behavior, human psychology, system design, and bringing all that together in a way that it's easy, useful, effective for everyone who's using it. Okay. I love what you just said. So obviously, as we're going ahead in society with technology, it's getting so much more powerful. You said it, you know, like the Apollo missions, the, the missions that got people to the moon did not have the computing power that we have today in our pockets with our smartphones. Now, within that technology, Absolutely. it becomes certain aspects that it does make it a bit more uh, complicated to utilize. Now, what I understand within your form is you take complicated technology and make it as user-friendly as possible for the consumer. Is that what I understood correctly? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. But there, the, to do that, there's a whole science behind it. There's so, a whole structure behind it. And that's what we do. Okay, yes. So let's. So I'm a professional speaker, as my audience knows. And I always tell this to somebody that I'm teaching or coaching on to become a speaker or whatever the case is. Our job as a speaker is to take a complicated concept and make it the most digestible and the most retainable absolutely. to the audience. That's your job. And that's absolutely. a skill set. If you leave things complicated, it actually doesn't show your expertise. Now, how do you go about taking something that's complicated in the digital world to make it the most efficient to be used, not only for Gen X, uh, millennials, but baby boomers and so on? Like I'm seeing my parents being on these social platforms so much more eloquently than before. So how do you go about doing that transition so it could be a user-friendly experience for all generations? So in the simplest level, it is a power of iteration, right? So there, I think there are two things I think that people need to understand. Number one is user is important, user is king. Mm -hmm. So understand who the user is, understand. So there's a lot of aspects of, so we use techniques around observing uh, the users, asking them questions, interviewing them, being the user. So we actually, there are, there are times when user researchers on our end would uh, wear a bodysuit so that they can feel how a bodysuit would work when you're kind of fixing uh, an oil rig. Uh, so there's nuances of that. So when you're designing the bodysuit, so first be the user, empathize with the user, build a high level of uh, understanding. The second thing is start bias towards action, which is iterate around your solution. So quickly, like how, what's my first solution? What's my second solution? Not very different from playing video games, right? You don't win the video game in the first shot. The same way, how do you bring that power of iteration uh, to design, to kind of iterating. That's why design thinking is becoming more and more important. We're like, how fast can I design the first prototype, test it, iterate on it with the user, go to the next round. And when you do this, just like you said, baby boomers. So baby boomers have a different context, different sense of common sense. Mm -hmm. You know, same with Gen Z, same with uh, somebody out in some other part of the country. Maybe they are, uh, it's, it's, you know, so when you start looking at building a system, you need to understand the user, their experience, their journey, their, what makes them, you know, happy, sad, what their context is, and then design different experiments, iterate on it, and then kind of come back with the final solution. And that's how you actually make it work. It's a power of just leveraging who the user is and iterating around it. Okay. 
So I love where this conversation is going. And I want to ask you a question, and I hopefully it's going to be eloquent for you to kind of understand and answer it over here. So we talked about human behavior, okay? And everything that we utilize on, let's call it the, the beginning of metaverse or just the, the internet and so on and so forth, the man's high level of human behavior. Now, what are certain human behaviors that you look at and really utilize as like the main point to be aware of? to keep people more engaged on your platforms or even to attract people to a platform that's more engaging and user-friendly? What are some of the human behaviors, the base that you look up and you try to play with, let's call it? So I'll probably try to give you an example that will help you kind of elicit that point. Uh, and it's, a, by the way, an awesome question. Uh, we were designing an automotive retail software. Uh, and this is think about a dealership and you're going to a dealership and you're looking at where things are. And when you're observing and talking to the, let's say the, in this case, the service advisor, you can see when you look at their computer monitor, they have all these post-its stuck on there. And the post-its are like this code, this number, this code, this number, call this person, this is where it is. And then you start realizing that this is their system that they have created for like, I need to call this person to check on this. I need to kind of put this code for this discount. And we are like, why do you have to remember all this? Then we kind of went on and further asked questions around like, how much time does it take for you to kind of teach this? It's like, I don't know, it's the people still make mistakes. And we're like, this is not, systems are smart enough today mm -hmm. to kind of automate all that. Mm -hmm. First thing. Second thing, you can see the frustration of making a mistake because he's automatically, if he puts the discount code wrong, then you know uh, the customer's unhappy, the business is unhappy. There's a lot of nuances there. So there's a lot of challenges that come in. So that's the first thing, we look for frustration. And that's one a, a huge opportunity. The second thing we're looking for is delight. Maybe we're looking at like, look at this, I did this, this is so cool. And I built this and I showed it to everyone else. And then you look at delight and like, ah, so now you see that they've solved a problem and they have, they have now made it the structure, but they made an offline process around it. Now, can we process engineer that in the system itself? So now think about it like a few iterations later, all the things that was frustrating, it's the system takes care of it. All the things that are delightful, the system has been built with it. Now that's kind of where you've moved it up so many notches. And that's why, now just to give you a sense, how does that impact the business? After we kind of did that, what took a check-in process to get a car into the dealership and get them checked in and already what takes 15 minutes is taking two minutes. Now just think how much was shaved off and how many, how many more people are doing less errors. And that's the power of design when it actually comes together. Okay. So Satyam, I love that. So essentially what you guys do is you go in and you put systems and processes in place in businesses that are already rolling. You look at what are certain things that are frustrating to the employees and clients. What are certain things that they have worked with that they're happy about and how to create it in a platform that is more user-friendly for everybody so we can be more efficient with our time and less mistakes with the processes that we're putting in place. Very interesting in that regard. Absolutely. Okay. So Absolutely. my- my next question that I kind of wanted to unpack with you as I was researching you, uh, I did see that you have a book coming up uh, in May 2022. So by the time we're actually recording this, we're in end of April. So I'm sure when this is going to be live, it's already going to be out there. Can you please tell us a bit more about the book? What's about, what is it about? And so on and so forth. Absolutely. So one of the biggest belief, uh, so design has been always driving a lot of things and a lot of people think of design as a very visceral, that's the, one of the biggest myths of this profession that think design is a visceral element of any system. It mm -hmm. looks good, it looks nice, 
it is uh, it, it feels nice it's good colors but this design is actually way more powerful and then when you start looking at organizations like the teslas the apples they have like there's a no there's a reason why tesla is the most valuable company even though they are uh, you know others are making electric cars there's a reason why apple's the most valuable company even though samsung does everything just give you an example that apple does and more uh now that's there's a reason because there's an ecosystem there's customer loyalty there's a better experience that they've built in and that's kind of the biggest focus that's kind of going in now what i have seen unfortunately uh we we headquartered right here in the silicon valley and is majority of the businesses understand the power of design but don't can't get there Uh, so they don't know how to kind of engage and deliver. So when I started the firm, it was how do we kind of get organizations like them up and running, get them more focused, get them more user centric. Uh, and so that so over the last seven years, we kind of learned and and finessed a lot of our place on helping companies to kind of get the example I was giving with automotive retail. That company in five years is valued at three and a half billion dollars, and they grew three hundred percent year over year last year. So this is all with the power of you know deep customer centricity. uh and they are doing really well uh and that's just one of the many examples that we have kind of enabled so we took all of that put it into a book and said here are 27 places for organizations to unlock and accelerate their growth by design mm-hmm. and, uh, and that book is coming out and uh, should be out by the time this uh, recording is out there if anyone wants to know more they can go to uh, uxdplaybook.com we will also i'll send you the link so you can also put that in the show notes absolutely do you mind just telling us what the name of the book is Uh, it's called user experience design a practical playbook to fuel business growth perfect uh, okay. and it's an all uh, leading uh, you know book distributors uh, and uh, yeah we should, also have the link uh, in the show notes i'm guessing i love that yeah 100% it will be in the show notes as soon as you send that over uh, one thing you mentioned i wanted to highlight over there so you had mentioned uh, tesla and apple being a predominant force in uh, our world today compared to their co- competitors and uh, their compatriots such as the samsung of this world such as any other car that's making electric uh, vehicles and the main thing you said is because they are centric to the customers and the way they go about that is through the design of approaching that of the utilization so you're saying that one of the main focus of the success of these two companies would have to do with the clients how they serve it and the design that's linked up to it uh it's the experience design so uh so again when when i i i mentioned this also in the book and i'll i'll state it out for the audience there's two ways of looking at design and i call it the big d design and the small d design the small d design is a craft like the colors the look and feel and everything every system that we have the big d design is a mindset where everything is designed right this show is designed our organization structure is designed our dinner menu is designed so everything around us is designed and, and the deliberateness that goes into designing something is a much more concrete thing so these organizations the apples and the teslas they don't focus just on the small d design they focus on the big d design they designed like why did elon design the charging network before the cars were much more popular because mm-hmm. he thought about the ecosystem and he said i'm going to get that experience figured out when the way the chargers go they go in a destination next to a good restaurant is also a design element so when you start thinking about the macro design that's when power comes out and that's when people are paying you handsomely and the market is treating you handsomely okay satyam you just i'm sure 
made it like so obvious and clicked on some understanding for our listeners and our viewers, because that's exactly what happened to me when you explained it. And very eloquently, there's two types of designs. So the smaller design is the design that most probably the normal person, as well as I was thinking about the colors, so on and so forth. But then there was an experiential design and design of the strategy of how to approach it. Just like the example that you gave of like, why am I going to put a charging dock next to this business? Or how do I develop the charging docks first before putting out there the vehicles and going that process, which is a, the word that you're using is design. Some people might use strategy, but I love that approach in that regards. Uh, now talking about this, because I do know, obviously you have a great background, which I don't think you mentioned, but you went to uh, Harvard Business School and you have that background as well. And you are somebody that mentioned that comes from a family of military and so on and so forth. And this is something that you have transitioned into growing your business in a top end business that's growing one of the fastest ones in the Silicon Valley. So talk to us about your systems and processes and your team building approach when it comes to the big design within your business. So what are some of the tips and methodologies and some tricks that you give to our listeners that want to have a better work environment within their own business with their employees and colleagues? Absolutely, absolutely. And this is it's a topic I love to talk about. Uh, when we started the firm, we quickly realized that uh, there's not enough talent out there that believes in the same uh, system or has the tools for the same system. So, uh, so if I wanted to kind of build a design firm, I'd obviously the talent that we have. Uh, just give me one second. Uh, so we are only as good as a. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. So we are only as good as the talent we have in the system. Uh, and for that to happen, we realized uh, that we have to kind of build everything from scratch, uh, train the talent, build the process, uh, start working with clients that we believe will be the most successful. Uh, and for that to happen, if you really think about how the military works, they take people from street uh, based on aptitude, train them, uh, aptitude and attitude, and then train them and make them fighting fit. Uh, and that's the same philosophy we applied early on. We said we're going to take people from the street uh, based on aptitude and attitude, groom them through our own process uh, and make them uh, highly effective, uh, which is why, you know, you have, we have uh, you know, literally we have 60 consultants across three continents uh, and all the people that we have are all trained through the same process. They have all, they have a common vocabulary. They have a common structure that they apply. Uh, the second thing that's important is that we have 20 different education disciplines. We have architects, fashion designers, software designers, software engineers. There's a lot of different backgrounds that have come together. So again, a group of people from different backgrounds with a common uh, uh, a toolkit, with a shared purpose. When you start comparing that with a lot of other industries, you start realizing that you know military is actually very much where it is. You have shared purpose, shared ethos, shared you know, drills. And that's kind of what makes us so successful while we are globally distributed and also helped us be very resilient throughout the pandemic. So, okay. So there's a couple of things that you mentioned over there that I want to highlight because I truly love. So first and foremost, the fact that you're looking at people when you're hire, you look at more of their aptitude and attitude, which is so much more important than I guess the position they've had previously, because if they have that proper attitude and they have the aptitude to either learn or they have that base, then you're able to mold them and structure them with that mission and vision of your organization. And then meet common goal 
as you're paralleling the idea of what military is. That's one thing I truly love. Second thing that you mentioned, which I think is a no-brainer, is getting people from different industries. Because if you're just going to stay in one industry, I don't care who you are, you could be the top within that industry, you are going to have blind spots within that industry because you just Absolutely. have been told your whole life that it's been like this because it is like this and it's something that just gets transferred down from generation to generation until somebody else comes from a different industry and is like, hey guys, why don't you do this like that and so on and so forth? And they're like, oh my God. So I love that aspect of being aware of don't just get people that would fit the mold of your business, but get people that are maybe from other industries to bring that different uh, experience. And you think these are the two main parts that really built your business to that next level and made it the company that it is in Silicon Valley right now? I think they are two of the major parts. If we had not done this this way, I don't think we would have been as successful uh, because you have a common group of people. See, because the inefficiencies when you're running a professional services firm, majority of the inefficiency comes when the rubber meets the road and uh, people start delivering and engaging with clients or partners and delivering this level of value. Uh, but when you have a nurturing system, and that's the third thing I would also call out, which is very important apart from the two that you just shared. In the military, it's a nurturing system. There, nobody became a general before they were, everybody started being a cadet yes. and then they became a general. Yes. And every soldier, every captain is trying to, is being groomed by a major and every uh, lieutenant is being groomed by the captain. So it's everyone is looking out for each other and together they're trying to pull each other, push each other. And that is a phenomenal system and also a good culture. And that's how we have been able to sustain the power of the process and the focus that we have had. Whereas if you just hired people off the street, everybody comes in with their own flavor and then it's a militia. It's no more a uh, you know, professional arm. Okay, Satam, I love that. And do you mind just highlighting, have you been in the army or your your parents have? Or what's, what's cause you, obviously you, you have a lot of flavor in that regards of how they structure it. So what's your background in that regards? So I come from a military family. Uh, I, uh, my parent, my father was an army uh, officer in the Indian army. Uh, and so, so I've also founded the company with my brother. So again, a lot of ethos comes together. Uh, my father's younger brother, my father's uh, sister, uh, they all come from the military circles. I actually trained uh, for the longest while to join the services or the, the, to be a uniformed officer uh, till I uh, you know, was colorblind. So I just couldn't uh, be medically fit to kind of join the Indian military and then decided to kind of then pivot and change careers. But the ethos that remained uh, till date uh, being from a military family, and again, the, the US military, the British military, Indian military, a very similar, yeah. very similar structure of uh, you know, professionalism. And I think there's a lot uh, that to learn from any one of them. In fact, one of the books that we read is Extreme Ownership. Uh, and that's one of our values, which uh, obviously comes from uh, uh, most of the military structures of, you know, whatever it is, you know, once taken, the mission has to be completed. 100%. I, I love that. And I 100% resonate with you because actually my background is fireman and the school of how they teach you to be a fireman is very military background as well, just from how to take care of your uniforms and so on and so forth. So I do believe in that as well. Uh, with the added creativity, if you have that structure, and then you allow to have that creativity, which is your design part, I think it's a, it's a recipe for success as it's kind of proven over here. And Satum, I mean, it's, it's obvious that you are highly successful. I mean, we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes or so about all these great things that you're doing within your business and so on. But I believe there's not only a lesson to be taking away from people's successes, but there's also a lot of things that we can learn from people's failures and people's difficulties. So my question to you is, what is something right now within your business that you're having a bit more of a hard time with? Something that you might even be able to optimize. What is that situation? How do you go about trying to fix it. So what's the 
thing that you're trying to deal with right now is difficult and how are you going to go about fixing it? So I think one of the big things that I would say as we have, even what got us to a success was actually challenged a bit more in the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, partially because we were hiring people. How do you, and then when you are trying to groom people while well, they're all remote, when you're trying to bring somebody to a common shared purpose, shared, shared ethos while they're all remote was, is highly challenging, yeah. right? It's like, think about, you know, you're training the military without the academy being all in person. Mm-hmm. And now you're kind of giving them virtual exercises to kind of drill. Uh, so that's been a big challenge because we are now just about as we're kind of uh, coming out of the, the the routine and the rituals of the pandemic and the peak of the pandemic, we are now starting to readjust, reassign, realign to that. Uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of efficiency of being fully remote. Uh, uh, we, we, are, we have decided to go hybrid uh, and we're going to have a few days at work, a few days uh, outside work. Uh, and uh, that's just the nature of, you know, having a pretty young team. Uh, but again, we are trying to readjust to that and we are trying to refocus on that. And all through this process, we're being very honest uh, with our new hires, with our existing hires. We're kind of sharing very transparently where the, the strengths and the weaknesses are. And then together are ideating and brainstorming and saying, what can we do differently? It's not a top-down approach. It is, uh, again, a, a military one for all, all for one. Let's together figure it out. We have a common purpose. These are the issues. Let's ideate. Let's discuss the same process that we apply with our engagements and clients. Uh, we are applying it inside the company. So uh, it's a fascinating process that we are navigating right now. Yeah, 100%. You're definitely not the only person that has mentioned this on the show, actually. And that's something that I lived through as well, because previously to the pandemic, I was a solopreneur. And throughout the whole COVID, this last couple of years, I brought myself from being by myself to now having nine colleagues and employees within the business. And I was thinking about, I'm like, if I had an office because the pandemic wouldn't be here, it would be so much more easier for the people just to learn, for example, of how you are, how you show up, just as simple as how you walk, how you dress, people will kind of get of like what your ideology is. Now, once you're hiring these new people and it is through the Zoom world and you did kind of correlate it to the Academy of the Army and then you're giving them like uh, uh, digital uh, exercises, what were certain exercises that you gave to these new hires to kind of show them what the ideology of your business is and what's the mindset behind it? I think the exercise, what we did is we kind of had a lot of open conversations uh, and uh, it's still in the Zoom context. Uh, there was no real exercises to give them. I mean, uh, the, the challenge is, I'll, I'll tell you one of the biggest pitfalls of the, of the pandemic, especially in an environment where people are in high stress, a feedback given to someone in the morning saying, hey, this, this work is not good, can end up becoming by end of the day can become I am not good. Because that echo chamber when they're sitting in their home by themselves and a lot of pressure can immediately become from this is not good to I am not good really fast. So then so that we realized that very quickly that this was how it was impacting because in a high because the stress of being a, as I said, a military soldier or a top-notch world-class designer is no different because you're pushing yourself and bound on your boundaries in a lot of ways, physical or mental. Uh, and, and to do that, you had to make sure that the right environment. So then we started doing check-ins. We started putting buddy pairs. Uh, mm-hmm. We started doing a lot of, but again, they're all sympt- uh, resolving some of the symptoms. But when, as you said, when you're sitting in an office observing like, hey, we just, somebody got, this is not good feedback two minutes later or, or two hours later, they're still ha- they're laughing. Everyone's laughing and no one's kind of holding any grudges. And then you move on to the next drill, next thing. And then you, you go and ask a couple more people, how did you address this? And then they give you two tips and you move on. And that's kind of, there's a certain energy that comes when you're in a nurturing system. 
Whereas if it, all the pressure is back on you to go figure it out, uh, unfortunately, I think that's where you see mental health kind of really impacting. And we are very aware of it, but we want to make sure that's nurturing and supportive. I love that. So Satima, I love the aspect that you're like, hey, we're creating conversations, but more importantly, we're creating partnerships. So when you've given information to somebody or good or bad, they're not alone within that compared to what you just said of when in their office, there is that give and take with their colleagues, there's other people. So they feel less in their mind. And if it's in their mind, you know, our brain plays tricks on us and starts asking the wrong questions. Then you go down this rabbit hole of negativity that our brain is meant to protect us, but it's counteracting actually the result that we want. So I love that approach absolutely. in itself. Go for it. Absolutely. No, no, absolutely. I was yeah. just going to say that, you know, hey, we, the problem is what the problem is. We are together going at the problem. We together are, are the means. Let's not make us the problem or others. Like, so that's it's just a way of how to even frame it differently. will just help save so much time and energy. Everything's on framing. Honestly, everything is on the perspective and on the framing of how you approach it. I truly believe everything can be said. It depends how you say it. Just like everything that right. should be good can be said bad. And just like everything bad can be said in a good way. So it could be more absorbed for your uh, listener or person in front. So there definitely is that approach. Satum, I mean, this was highly interesting of a conversation. Thank you for being on the show. Before letting you go, uh, I would like for you to kind of tell the people where we could connect with you. What would be the best platform to do so if they want to get more, uh, in, you know, information of what you do because they're thinking about, hey, maybe this could be fit for their own business. What's the best place they could connect with you and your team? Absolutely. So I think uh, our website is uh, uh, a pretty good resource for anyone wanting to kind of learn more about how UX Reactor has been impacting a lot of the firms. So the firm is, the website is uxreactor.com. I'll also share that link. Uh, and anyone who wants to reach out to me, uh, you can always send an email to hello at uxreactor.com. And uh, it's, a it's a very actively uh, managed uh, link uh, of our email. And then we'd be happy to kind of connect and talk. I'm always open for a conversation. So again, uh, the goal is, uh, you know, so many good things have happened or not happened with, uh, by, by just not having a conversation or having a conversation. So I would just say always ready for having a coffee. So uh, reach out. I love that. Once again, thank you very much for being on the show. I love your approach and your methodology of how you're changing the design world within the entrepreneurial industry in Silicon Valley and in the world. Once again, thank you very much for being on the show and have a phenomenal day. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. Take care. Christopher Dedian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Fitness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or intrapreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didier. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day. Thank you.